Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to the award-winning Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. We are bringing old-school basketball to a new-school audience. And today we bring you the story of a little-known player whose entire NBA career consisted of three games. He only scored seven points and committed seven personal fouls in those three games. He is a player that some would describe as having only been in the NBA long enough to get a cup of coffee, and then he was out of the NBA. He never played professionally again. But he has a fascinating story that is definitely worth sharing. His name is Wat Misaka. He was the first non-white player to play in the NBA. And you might be asking yourself, didn't I already do an episode on the breaking of the NBA color barrier? And the answer is, yes I did. That was episode 64 where I talked about Chuck Cooper, Nat Clifton, and Earl Lloyd, three black players who all entered the NBA in 1950, the very first year that black players were part of the league. So how does Wat Misaka fit into all this? The name Wat is short for Wataru, a Japanese-American player who played his three NBA games in 1947, three years before black players entered the NBA. So let me take you back to the beginning of Watt's story. He was born on December 21, 1923 in Ogden, Utah to Japanese immigrant parents Tatsuyo and Fusaichi Misaka. The family had settled in Ogden where a small Japanese community existed in the bad part of town. The Misaka family lived in the basement of the barbershop that Watt's father ran. Next door to the barbershop on one side was a bar and on the other side was a pawn shop. By Watt's own description, they lived in the ghetto of Ogden. As a kid, he was not allowed to play in the regular youth sports leagues because he was Japanese. Now, thankfully for him, their Japanese community created their own baseball and basketball leagues for the kids to play in. That was where he developed his basketball skills. By the time he got to high school, he had developed a real control of his dribble and had lightning speed. He attended Ogden High School where he joined the basketball team and became the starting point guard and the captain of the team. It was during high school that his father died and his mother seriously considered moving the family back to Japan where they could live with an uncle. Watt, being the oldest, talked his mother out of that idea so that they could stay in America. He was never tall in stature, he was only 5 foot 7 or 171 centimeters. He was small, but he was fast. To get an idea of the type of player he was, think Muggsy Bogues, Tiny Archibald, or Allen Iverson, very small players who were often the fastest players on the floor. He led his high school to the Utah State Championship in 1940 and followed it up with a regional championship in 1941. By any reasonable measure, he had a fantastic high school career. After that, he enrolled in Weber Junior College, which was a two-year college at the time. Today, it is a four-year school by the name of Weber State University. By the way, that is a school that Damian Lillard went to. 
Watt continued to impress at the junior college level. They made it to the National Junior College Basketball Tournament in 1942. They did not win, but Watt was selected the MVP of the tournament. That is an incredibly high honor to be given for that level of college basketball. Watt was a legitimately good player and someone to be taken seriously. Now things were going great for Watt from a basketball perspective, but things were not so great politically. During that season where he won the Junior College Tournament MVP, the Empire of Japan attacked the United States at Pearl Harbor. At the time, in the United States, it was not good to be Japanese or of Japanese descent. Watt was a full American citizen. He spoke with an accent typical of the western part of the United States. In other words, he sounded American when he spoke. But because of the attack at Pearl Harbor, the United States decided to round up Americans of Japanese descent and put them into internment camps because of the perceived threat. If you are a Star Trek fan, then you know who George Takei is. He played Mr. Sulu in the original series and in many of their movies. Takei spent nearly three years of his childhood in one of these internment camps in California because his family is Japanese. Fortunately, the Misaka family was never rounded up. They were able to stay in Ogden, living their normal lives in their home like everyone else. It was in that context that Watt played his second year of junior college basketball. They were not able to return to the National Junior College Tournament, but Watt continued to improve his game and proved himself to be a very capable point guard. So after two years of junior college basketball, it was time to move on to a four-year school for his final two years of college basketball. So he transferred to the University of Utah, where he would see a lot of success. Now this is a good place to take a break, and I'll be right back with the rest of Watt's college career and his career in the NBA. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. We here at the Sports History Network proudly partner with 26 podcasts, all revolving around the history of sports. But did you know that many of our hosts were sports history authors way before they started their shows? It's true. We've got Joe Ziemba, host of When Football Was Football, Joe Zagurski, host of Pro Football in the 1970s. Mark Morthier, host of Yesterday Sports. Tommy Phillips, host of Lombardi Memories. And Scott Adamson, co-host of From the 55-Yard Line. All these authors have many books for you to choose from. To check them out, go to our website at sportshistorynetwork.com slash books. Pick up your copy today! Soundtrack provided by Kevin McLeod of FilmMusic.io. Welcome back to the show and let us continue with the story of Watt Misaka. As I mentioned, he just completed two years of junior college basketball. At the same time, the United States formally entered World War II after being attacked by the Empire of Japan in Hawaii. World War II was the political background that Watt had to play through being an American of Japanese descent. He enrolled at the University of Utah. It was his third year of college basketball, but his first year at this school. He immediately took over as a starter at the point guard position and was his team's leading scorer. He led the team to a record of 18-3, and and that got him an invitation to both the NIT and the NCAA tournament. They chose the NIT because at the time, the NIT was considered the more prestigious tournament. It paid out more money to the participating schools, 
and the final four teams played in Madison Square Garden, so it was a free trip to New York. Unfortunately, they were knocked out during the first round of that NIT tournament by Adolph Rupp's Kentucky Wildcats. So much for the NIT. But the NCAA tournament had a last-minute cancellation from the University of Arkansas, so the NCAA organizers asked Utah if they would want to play in their tournament. They agreed, and off they went to play in the NCAA tournament as well. They ended up playing Dartmouth in the championship game and beat them 42-40 and became the 1944 NCAA champions. The team was then contacted by a promoter who was trying to get the NCAA champion and the NIT champion to play one game against each other in Madison Square Garden for some sort of unofficial super championship. Utah agreed as the NCAA champion and they were pitted against St. John's University from New York who had won the NIT championship. Utah won that game too in a 43-36 victory. So if you are tracking this correctly, Utah gets knocked out of the NIT in the first round and then goes on and wins another tournament that same year and then returns to defeat the team that won the NIT tournament. If ESPN had existed back then, they probably would have spent an entire day dissecting how this all happened. Things were going about as well as you can expect for Wat Misaka, at least as far as basketball was concerned. It seems that he was accepted on campus at Utah. His teammates voted to name him the captain of the team. He was treated about as well as anyone could expect given the era and the circumstances of World War II. In preparing for this story, I looked up every interview I could find on Wat Misaka, and he never spoke about anything negative in terms of his treatment and how he was perceived during his days in college. Now, I'm not saying that nothing happened, all I'm saying is that he does not seem to talk about it. He seems to be a very positive person and always look for the good in people. If anything negative happened, he seems to have just to let it slide off his shoulders and moved on. Now at this point in the story, he was looking forward to his final year of college and one last season with the University of Utah. But the war entered his personal life and changed his plans. Wat Misaka was drafted into the United States military and served two years rising to the rank of Staff Sergeant in the U.S. Army. He was scheduled to serve, coincidentally, in Japan, but the United States dropped two atomic bombs on Japan at Hiroshima and Nagasaki, effectively ending the war on the Japanese front. After two years, Misaka was discharged. He returned to Utah to finish his final year of college. At this point, he was 23 years old as a college senior, but now it was time for his best year yet. He led the team back to the NIT tournament where this time they won the whole thing. They were the 1947 NIT champions and considered to be the true national champions since the NIT was considered the bigger tournament. He finished his studies in electrical engineering and was fully prepared to enter the workforce as an engineer. The war had been over for two years. Japanese Americans had been released from those internment camps and allowed to return to their former lives. For those Americans who were locked up in those camps, Wat Misaka had become a hero. While they toiled away in those camps, they had access to news and radio. They knew that there was this Japanese kid from Utah who was winning basketball games in Madison Square Garden and it gave them hope and someone to root for. He was a very special person to them. Whether he liked it or not, he had become a symbol for all Japanese American people. Now while all of this was happening, back on the East Coast, a brand new basketball league was about to have their very first college draft. Today, that league is known as the NBA, but back then they were still going by their original name, the Basketball Association of America, or BAA. The BAA had just finished their very first season of play where the Philadelphia Warriors were the inaugural champions. 
Now, in preparation for their second season as a league, they decided to have a formal draft to distribute the rights to the players coming out of college. In the seventh round of that draft, the New York Knicks selected Watt Misaka from the University of Utah. That draft that year went 10 rounds, by the way. So Watt decided to hold off on becoming an engineer to give this new league a try. He joined the Knicks and was given jersey number 15. However, his time in the NBA was so short that there is not much to say. He only ever played three games in the NBA for the Knicks. His career high was his very first game where he scored five points. In another game, he scored two points. And in the third game, he failed to score completely. And then he was cut. There are people who say that he was cut only because he was Japanese. But if that were true, then why did they draft him and give him a one-year guaranteed contract, a very rare thing in those days? They also touted his signing in their own team's newsletter, which by the way was called Knickknacks. That means that he got paid his full salary for the entire season, even though he only played three games. According to Watt, he was cut because the team had too many point guards and he was not playing at the level necessary to keep his spot on the team. He has no ill will toward the Knicks and has said in several interviews that he was treated with respect and was just another player on their team, same as everybody else. Even he was surprised at what a non-story it was that a Japanese American was on the Knicks. He was never interviewed by the New York press about joining the team. There were no articles in the local newspapers about him, except to mention him in some matter-of-fact way that he was joining the team. There is a quote by Watt on his joining the Knicks as a Japanese player, quote, It wasn't a big thing. Nobody cared, unquote. But after being cut by the Knicks, he went back to Utah and got a job as an electrical engineer and did that job until he retired. He got married and had kids and settled in Salt Lake City. Except for his time in the Army and on the Knicks, he lived in Utah his entire life. In 2009, he was flown to New York for Wat Misaka Night at a Knicks game. He was honored as the first Japanese-American player to play in the NBA, and particularly for the Knicks. He was presented with a number 15 jersey, his old number. The number 15 hangs in the rafters of Madison Square Garden, but not for Wat Misaka. It hangs there for Earl the Pearl Monroe, who also wore that same number in the 1970s. Once Misaka was out of the NBA, it was almost 60 years before another Japanese player joined the league. His name was Yuta Tabuse, and he played for the Phoenix Suns in 2005. Today, there are two Japanese players in the NBA, Rui Hachimura of the Washington Wizards and Yuta Watanabe of the Toronto Raptors. But all three of these players were born and raised in Japan. Wat Misaka was born and raised in Utah, where he developed under American coaching. Sadly, Wat Misaka died in 2019 at the age of 95. He provided hope for other Japanese Americans at a time when they really needed it. He is also the answer to a trivia question. Who is the first non-white player to play in the NBA? The answer is Wat Misaka. He led a good and honorable life. The concept of family honor is extremely important in Japanese culture. The way a person behaves, good or bad, reflects on their entire family. And it is important to never dishonor one's family name. Wat Misaka brought honor to his family and represented them very well. For his two years serving the United States in World War II, I want to say thank you for your service. I am also putting a link in the show description to a video where the Golden State Warriors invited Wat Misaka to their shoot-around before playing the Utah Jazz in Salt Lake City. Wat Misaka got a chance to have a conversation with Steph Curry. Well, that does it for today. That is a story of Wat Misaka. 
Join us next time when we share the story of the 1992 Lithuanian basketball team that competed at the Barcelona Olympics and played against the American Dream Team. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories from the past. Take care and see you soon. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.